It's important to understand anytime we are talking about the New Testament, much of it was written by the Apostle Paul. 27 books, he wrote 13, some say 14. If you count the book of Hebrews, we're going to look at today. And John Harrison said it well, the consuming passion of the Apostle Paul was the desire to finish well. Not just talking about when his life is over, but to finish well for each of us. To finish well today to finish well tomorrow, to say, let me finish well in Christ. And so the book of Hebrews, we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 12. And we're coming off this week here where we had Independence Day. And we recognize there's challenges in our culture, in our community, as well as in our own lives. And let's look at some things that we can take from Paul's words here and put into action. Remember, personal change is not a mental activity. It is something that has to go beyond just believing something. It has to become a part of our living, our words, our actions, our decision-making. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Paul says, Pursue holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness. We just have to stop and say, looking back at the week that's behind, did I truthfully pursue holiness? Was that something on my mind? To be holy, to be set apart, to be obedient, to avoid sin. Did I pursue that in my life? So here's a quote, John Hamby. He says, here is our crisis. Professing Christians who live no different than a non-Christian are repeating the sin of Esau. We'll talk about Esau here in a moment. He goes on, our nation is in a crisis of morality, and this crisis is partially due to the fact that Christians are not what they should be. As has been well said, one of the biggest causes of atheism are people who go to church and worship Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. So if we look at Paul's words, he says, pursue holiness. We just have to stop it again and say, is that my priority? Is it the top priority? Does it make the top 10? Do I really start the day and say, I want to pursue today holiness? If not, today's the day to start making that decision. Notice what Paul says next, Hebrews 12, verse 15. Make sure no one falls short of the grace of God, and no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Paul says here, bitterness, once it takes root, produces fruit, and that fruit defiles many. Bitterness, anger, fear. As we've said before, the decision made from fear is always wrong. True leadership, to see things as they are, not worse than they are, and then make them better than they are. See things as they are, not worse than they are. Bitterness, anger, fear, holding on to grudges, defiles not just self, but other people. The important point is to recognize that our sin impacts others in the body and in the culture and the community. And we have to stop and say, am I the light? Am I the salt? And Jesus said, what good is a light if you hide it under a bushel? What good is salt 
if it has lost its saltiness. If there's no distinction between our life in Christ and somebody who does not know Jesus, we need to stop and consider what Paul is saying here. Pursue holiness. Don't let bitterness defile your life. Fascinating story when da Vinci was painting the Last Supper. He had a big argument with a friend. They became bitter rivals. So he painted that man's face on Judas. And da Vinci would say he went to paint Jesus, but he couldn't put the picture together. And he recognized the bitterness holding him back. So he replaced his rival's face and just painted a face on Judas, not anyone he knew. And he said once he did that, painting Jesus was effortless. It was not something he had to struggle with anymore. As W. Alderman says, when you take your eye off Jesus, you make judgments and decisions that hurt sometimes for the remainder of your life. We need to keep our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. So here's something you can do if you're wrestling with things like broken relationships, whether in your family, outside your family, in the community, at work, whatever it may be. Here's something from Bruce Larson. He says, here's an ancient teaching. They used to believe years ago, a legion of angels went before every human being proclaiming, behold the image of God. Each person made in the image of God. If you stop today and you go out to eat and you consider the waiter or waitress and in your mind you see angels proclaiming, behold the image of God. Would you treat that person different? Somebody in your family, if you imagine that picture, behold the image of God. How about even that person in the mirror? Would it change the way that you would act and separate from sin? Something here from Clarence Blazer. You can do this right now and take this and use it on a daily basis. Here's a way to find some healing even in your own heart when there's that wrestling with toxic relationships or bitterness. He said what you can do is affirm God's love for that other person. And when you do that in prayer, it starts to open up your own heart as well. So he says, for example, pray like this, Lord, before requesting your favor, I affirm your love for this person. Fill in their name, whoever that is. Pray that you'll crown him with loving kindness and tender mercy. I pray you meet their needs. I pray you will draw them to you. Clarence Blazer says, it's amazing what can happen when we pray like this. Again, getting out of self-focus, let me affirm, even if there's that brokenness in my relationship, I can still affirm God's love in that person's life. And in my prayers, pray, God, let your love be known by them. Behold the image of God. Greater is he what? That is in you than he that's in the world. Hebrews 12, 16 says this, Make sure there isn't any godless person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. Don't be godless like Esau. Esau, of course, twin brother of Jacob, 
the two sons of Isaac. Esau was born just a few moments before Jacob. So Esau received the birthright of the firstborn. What that meant, he would receive a double inheritance, but more importantly, he was to be the spiritual leader, the priest in the family when the father would die. But Esau didn't believe in God. And as you remember the story, one day he was hungry and Jacob had made a meal. Esau says, I'm starving. Can I have that food? And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And Esau says, it's not worth anything to me. You can have it. So he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. What is the birthright? For you and me, that means our position in Christ, that he is the preeminent one and calls us. He is the king of kings. We are called to be royalty in that kingdom that is now. Whether that be royalty that he says he's the king of the kings or for the women, for the queen, that you represent him as royalty in the world. That is your birthright because the firstborn Christ has proclaimed that's who you and I are. When we sin, we trade that royal position for something so simple as a bowl of soup or a simple lust or a compromise. We are trading the work of Christ for a bowl of soup. May it never be, as Paul says. That word godless, he says, be not godless. Here's something fascinating about that word. It can also mean in the Greek, a person who is godless is one who is accessible to all. Accessible to all. It means worldly without any standards. To be accessible to all says I have no boundaries in my life. Untamed sin can reign supreme. I have no standards, no boundaries. I just simply do as thou will. And the consequences follow very clearly from that. So let's stop and talk about our country for a moment. We're not going to get into statistics. We recognize our community has challenges. There's broken families, there's addictions, there's violence, there's crimes, there's loneliness, there's depression. There is the darkness where the light needs to be brought in in Christ. We see that across our country. But let's talk about the first president of our country, something fascinating about his life. People try to rewrite history to make it cool for their point of view. Let's just stick to the truth here. 1755, 35 years before George Washington would be president, he was in the army. He was a colonel, and at this point, Britain still ruled the United States. And so he was in the British army. There was a battle between the British army and the French, who also then had Native American tribes on their side. One day, the general leading Washington and other men, wanted to enter into some woods. And Washington said, you're going to find us set up for an ambush. Now the general said, I don't take a command from a colonel from the colonies. Now Washington had tremendous character. 
That's a fact from his childhood on. Other students said if George Washington said that is the way it is, we knew that was how it was. His mother talked about his integrity, telling the truth. Here he was trying to save men's lives. This general would not listen, forced the men into the woods. Sure enough, the French armies and the Indian tribes attacked. Most of them then were killed on Washington's side. They were after Washington. Why? You'll see here in a moment. Imagine this though, by himself, they chased him, shot their guns, shot the bow and arrow at him for three hours. They shot two horses out from under him. And after three hours, he finally was able to escape. When he looked at his uniform, he had four bullet holes in his coat. He himself was not hurt. Why? Not only a man of integrity, a man of faith, and a man of prayer, and a man of just character, where he believed and trusted in the promises of God and the divine calling on his life. After that time in the woods, three hours, they tried to kill him. They gave him a new name. The Native Americans called him the Spirit-Protected Man to be Chief of Nations, for he could not die in battle very profound as he would become the president, of course. And that would be about 35 years after this event. But they recognized in this moment, here is somebody very different, the man who would be chief of nations, for he could not die in battle. Why? Because God protected him. Do we want to look to somebody as our own model for our lives with character like Washington or the Apostle Paul, most of all Christ? Or do we want to follow the crowds that hold up other things to pursue like money and fame and people without character? We have to make the choice to be salt or light or to be a light hidden in a bushel and a salt that has lost its savor. It is no longer good for anything. Paul says, pursue holiness. Pursue it. Seek it. Change is not a mental activity. It's about the actions that we take. So here's something, and this quote is on the website, on the Facebook page. Take some time to copy it down from there. This was D.K. Olakoya, who's a minister in Nigeria. He's written many books on prayer. And what he says here is the problem we face, talking about his culture as well as ours. Here's what he says. Many of the challenges we face remain because they have not seen somebody confront them with the kind of prayer they need confronted with. Many of the challenges in our culture exist because people have not stood up and prayed at the level needed to bring about change. Second thing he says about personal lives, he writes this, I am afraid a lot of men are faced with issues that their prayer altar is too weak to deal with. You and I can stop right now on our hearts and say, honestly, God, 
here is the level of my prayer altar. Is it low? Is it higher? Where should it be in our life? Want to see change in your family, in your culture, your community, in the nation? What is the strength of your personal prayer altar? What is the strength of my personal prayer altar? It is not a mental activity to bring about personal change. It has to be, well, what now will I do differently? Will I pursue holiness? What if this last week, though we fell and failed? We all have sin. We simply confess and know it's cleansed. But if you go to Luke chapter 15, as we close one verse, prodigal son destroyed his father's inheritance, his father's name, and his own life. And at that point, at the end of his rope, Luke 15, 20 says he was going to go back home and beg for mercy. And scripture says he got up and started back to his father. That's all it took. The father was already looking for him, saw him, came out, rushed to him, hugged him, put a robe on him, ring on his finger, threw a party, proclaiming his son was lost, now is found. All he had to do was get up and start back. The father, God, will do the rest. If you're not where you need to be this week, it's time to get up and start back. And then begin to pursue holiness and say, let me affirm God's love and other people's lives that bitterness reign no more. Let me pursue holiness so that my light shines brighter. Let me then not be godless with no standards, but rather have character to pursue the promise that he is greater in me than he that is in the world. Here is a graphic picture of all of this together we have talked about. Go back to early 1900s and the late 1800s as well. Missionaries could not get into Korea. Finally though, in 1907, they opened up for churches to be planted and have pastors. There are seven men that went to school and they graduated and they are to be the first seven church ministers. And Samuel Moffat writes about this, the cost of Korea. Here's what he says. Seven graduates gathered together and said, we will be the first Korean ministers. First, we need a missionary. They looked at a burly young man who graduated with them. You, you stoned the first missionary you ever saw, didn't you? The man hung his head. It was true. They said to him, then you are going to be the first missionary to Korea. You see, that's the gospel. And the story's not done yet, but that's the gospel. Here's a man who stoned a preacher. They brought him in, showed him forgiveness, taught him the gospel, took him to Bible college and said, you know missionaries, so you're going to be the first one. The story's not over. Samuel Moffat says this, The leader of these men was my father. And he was the missionary that man had stoned 16 years before. My father ordained that man. And this man was sent to Korea.
what happens when the gospel invades the raw edge of human life. And a minister who was stoned and recovered then baptized and ordains the man who attacked him. And then that man is sent into Korea to be a missionary. Get up and turn back. Let God then do the rest. Pursue holiness. Lay down bitterness. Avoid godlessness. But rather, behold the face of Christ and walk in His promise and in that kingdom where Jesus said it's not here nor there, it's within you so that you live differently. It's not a mental activity. It's how you and I live our lives. So may we this week raise the level of our prayer altar, pursue holiness, and simply be obedient to what Jesus is calling us to be salt and light.